Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Week 12 College Football Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. What a weekend we have in store. Tons of awesome matchups. It's going to be even better next weekend. We're hitting the prime of college football. I couldn't be more excited. I mean, you and I are in a massive crunch period, right? Because the second we get done with this slate on Saturday... It's like we it's like the Thanksgiving week is just so loaded with so many games on every day, the conclusion of the regular season. And I don't want to leave this out of the podcast because it's going to be here before we talk about it. When Northern Illinois faces Kent in the MAC championship, and I know you already have a Kent future. I have a Kent future because you sold me on it. Let's say Kent gets there. Are you gonna how big of a bet are you gonna place against Northern Illinois in the MAC championship game after that? After what we saw last night, this team is unbelievable. I mean, they usually they could be like two and nine. Um, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous, but we'll talk about that on our recap episode, and we'll also have our preview out early for you guys. We'll record that on Tuesday. Same with the NFL one. If you listen to that. Um, I will not be sleeping from Sunday until Tuesday to get both of us out. I have to basically cram four days into two. Um, but we want to make sure you guys all have your stuff out there by Wednesday. Plus, there's a lot of games on Thursday and Friday. All right, we have a ton to get to. And by the way, we'll have our Monday recap as usual. But we won't have a sources episode with Brett McMurphy. Colin and Brett do that. And instead, we'll have our group of five deep dive on Tuesday morning. And we'll have our week 13 main show nice and early for you guys on Wednesday morning. All right, before I get started, I do have an apology. On Monday's episode, we called out Minor Nation for not calling into the voicemail line after their loss to North Texas. Turns out they did, and one of our new producers missed it. So I have to look, and then they reached out to our producer and be like, I, I called in, I called in. So I have to give them their due. 
because it's one of our favorite fan bases. I don't play this. Yeah, guys, this is minor mother effing nation. And um, we're licking our wounds right now. We're looking at uh, maybe selling our second beach house because, unfortunately, we didn't cover the spread tonight and lost to the mean green. Um, what do y'all got to say about minor mother effing nation? Get your ass to El Paso. Yeah, they didn't even show up. That's why we lost the UTSA. I thought you guys were coming. Obviously, as soon as kickoff, we saw you guys weren't there. We ate a large bag of shit. <laughs> I love you guys. I do appreciate you calling in, even after a loss. And I promise you, one of these years, one of the next couple of years, we're going to have a podcast trip to El Paso. I promise. We, and we offered them merch, but they actually said no. And they asked if we could shout out the El Paso rescue mission instead. So if you bet on the miners at any point in time and want some money, please consider a donation there. Even $5 makes a big difference, especially with the holidays coming up. Just Google El Paso, El Paso Rescue Mission or click the link in the episode description. All right. We have a ton of games to get to and a lot of good games. And I've just spent uh, the last, I don't even know, I lost track of the amount of hours going through all these games. So I'm excited to get into them and I'm excited to have a big weekend. Bring on overtime if that's what it requires. All right. Let's start where we always do. With look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? All right, this is where we look at next week's slate, as you're all familiar, and sometimes last week's, and determine okay, is there any good situational spots? Is the team going to be a, a letdown? Are they going to take their foot off the gas? You know, not maybe show anything, worried about injuries, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, it comes down to the number, but here's there's a number of different spots. Let's start with Bedlam next weekend. We have Oklahoma against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma, it looks like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are going to play each other twice. But keep in mind, Baylor's still alive because they beat Oklahoma. So if Oklahoma loses to Iowa State, you know, and Oklahoma State wins, all of a sudden, Baylor would take over that number two spot. So there's still some things to be determined in the Big 12. Are Oklahoma and Oklahoma State potentially looking ahead? I don't necessarily think so. And by the way, we have Oklahoma State. We'll visit Texas Tech. They are 10.5-point favorites. And Oklahoma is a four-point favorite at home against Iowa State. So in my opinion, neither of these teams are going to be looking at it because there's still an outside shot they can get to the college football playoff. However, I do think both lines are inflated. Let me start with Iowa State. Iowa State this year has been a disappointment. Right? This is a team I was super high on. But all of their losses, I mean, are just excruciating. I mean, they dominated Iowa. They outgained Baylor by 210 yards, dominated that game, lost on a kick return for a touchdown. You know, they – they lose to West Virginia on a number of questionable officiating goals. They lose to Texas Tech on a 63-yard field goal as time expired. This team is still good. Their offense is elite. One of the best passing offenses in the country by every metric. Brock Purdy's having a hell of a year. The rushing attack hasn't been efficient, but it's explosive with Brees Hall. Their defense has been very disappointing overall, but they've been a, bit, a little bit unlucky on third downs. Not as good as I expected on early downs, but – I think there's some regression coming on third downs, but still, still a disappointing unit. Still, 
but it's a defense I still have in the top 25. When you look at Oklahoma, Oklahoma, let, let's just, they are who they are. I mean, you're talking about all these close losses throughout the year, and then they lay an egg against Baylor off of a bye. And you look at these defensive numbers, not only are they getting worse. I mean, we say that Iowa State's defense has been disappointing. Some of the Oklahoma pass defense numbers are bottom five in the country. So the way I look at this game is I think Iowa State, as of right now, my priorities, I have them rated higher than Oklahoma after going through adjustments that defense is deteriorating. So when I look at this game, it's two elite offenses going against two defenses that have been disappointing. But the Iowa State defense is still in a different stratosphere than what Oklahoma's defense is doing. And on top of that, Caleb Williams, your boy, he's played. Here's who he played. Texas, whose defense is off the rails. Kansas. He wasn't even good against Kansas. Texas Tech and TCU. That's it. Those are not good pass defenses. And then he plays Baylor, who's not even a great pass defense, and lays an egg. So maybe we rush to judgment, including myself, on how good Caleb Williams even is. So there's a chance that he lays another egg here. But we know what we're going to get with Brock Purdy. I, I, you know, this is basically Iowa State Super Bowl. I think it's a good spot to back them. I just think there's value in the line. The Oklahoma defense is the worst unit in this game by far. Two lead offenses. Iowa State's defense disappointing, but still good. On the other side, I, well, I'll stop there. What do you, what do you got on that game? Anything? I think Iowa State wins this game. Absolutely. I mean, Matt Campbell beat this Oklahoma team during the regular season last year, faced them again when OU was red hot in the championship game. The Sooners survived in Arlington because Iowa State had three turnovers. They choked. Uh, you know, they would be the current Big 12 champion right now if it wasn't for those three turnovers. And, and uh, you know, and, and OU at the time had rattled off, what, eight wins in a row? I mean, they were one of the hottest teams in the nation. Iowa State uses 12 and 13 formations, plenty of motion to confuse the defense. And Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma, has had a really tough time in Norman getting his defense to defend Brees Hall, Brock Purdy, Charlie Kohler. OU defense is not outside the top 80. They're now outside the top 80 against the pass. So that's a real sticky point. And where Oklahoma has struggled the most in defense is passing downs. TCU and Kansas torched OU in long downs and distances. OU is now 110th in passing down success rate. And I mean, as you talk, you mentioned Caleb Williams. Uh, I mean, against an Aranda scheme that ran a pure 3-3-5 against him, uh, there was a healthy amount of blitz and he couldn't handle it. I know he got his hand stepped on, taken out. Spencer Rattler came in. Iowa State also runs a 3-3-5, but they actually connect on their blitzes. The Cyclones are 17th in passing down sack rate. That's huge because Baylor does not have that great of a sack rate in passing downs. So, I think this is it for OU. I, I, I've already laid into Iowa State at four. The number is continuing to go down. Uh, I might even add some more because I got a national title ticket on OU that I, you know, I've got to get that money back somehow. But I think this is it. I think this is curtains for OU and their national title picture. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Iowa State wins this game as well. And I think that's what the line is telling you. Even though I show value in that, I don't think many people maybe do. Um, but I have Iowa State rated as the better team right now. In regards to Texas Tech, they are catching 10 and a half points at home. They're now bowl eligible after that stunning win over Iowa State last week. They will be home again against Oklahoma State. And Donovan Smith was named the starting quarterback once again. The freshman has been electric. He's 48 
excuse me, he's 46 of 59, 78% for 584 yards, 10 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, two interceptions. He's been great. And when I look at this Oklahoma State team, they're better than I thought. I have to go. But this is a team that I just can't fully buy into them. And I don't think they're going to be looking at it here. They, they have a better shot, I think, getting college football playoff in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But this number is just too high to me. I can't cannot get anywhere close to 10 and a half. And I think that there's a number of reasons why Oklahoma State's numbers, overall numbers, are being inflated. Let's take a look at their schedule. We already went, you know, they beat the FCS team by seven to start the year. They should have lost to Tulsa. They needed a kick return touchdown. They should have lost to Boise. They needed the refs to blow a play dead at the end. You know, then they play Kansas State's fourth string quarterback. Okay, so that's you, you can basically throw that game out, but it's counting towards all of their stats. Then they play Baylor in a, at home in a good spot, fresh off Baylor's fresh off that Iowa State win. And by the way, Baylor, Oklahoma State played Baylor at home. We'll get to this game later. Baylor's two road wins. Guess who Baylor's beat on the road this year? Can you guess? Kansas. <laughs> Kansas and Texas State. Those are their two road wins this year. And then they play Texas, and they're about to get on 24 to 3. And by the way, we've seen Texas is not as good as we thought. And they get a pick six and flip that game around completely. All right. Then they lose to Iowa State and they blow up Kansas, West Virginia. And then they get TCU in a good spot. Yeah, off their Super Bowl win, another backup quarterback they played as well. So I, when I look at this schedule, yeah, their defense is playing extremely well. It's a talented defense. It's the best in the Big 12. But I still have questions about the offense, and I think that their numbers are inflated based on this schedule in certain spots and certain things that have gone their way. So I think this number is too high. I think Texas Tech can keep this within 10 and a half. And that's basically the handicap. It has nothing to do with any situational spot. You could argue, if anything, maybe Texas Tech is a little flat at, after that win, that emotional win last week. But I'm, t- I'm rolling with the Red Raiders here. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, Donovan Smith is a story. He burned the Iowa State defense down 25 of 32 in passing, over 300 yards, three TDs, another 50 yards running the ball. This kid was electric. Iowa State just had a single sack on the day, uh, and Texas Tech tripled the national average and explosive drives. I mean, this, where has this been all season? Matt Wells is wondering, uh, Oklahoma state. I mean, they've been super focused on the road this year. They're four and against the spread away from Stillwater. They've had recent covers against West Virginia, Texas, Iowa state. Uh, they, you know, I mean, they rank 11th in coverage. I mean, if you want to talk about Donovan Smith, if he's going to go off again, I mean, Oklahoma state's 11th in coverage, they're fourth in big play prevention, but, you know, Smith's deep dive in his box score shows that his adjusted completion percentage actually goes up from 84 to 88 percent when he gets blitzed. He's had 21 dropbacks of blitz this season and a three to one TD to INT ratio. No turnover worthy plays. The kid is playing great football. Uh, and when you look at Oklahoma State on the offensive side of the ball, they're just going to turn around, and hand it off to Jalen Warren. I can't imagine anything special going on with Oklahoma on deck and Bedlam. And then, you know, you got all this pressure from the college football playoff. Uh, And, and, you know, I don't know if that's going to move the chains. The Cowboys are outside the top 100 in line yards, even though Jalen Warren is their, their horse in the backfield, but it's not an explosive pass unit whatsoever. I think Texas tech does enough to keep up here. I'm not sure they win the game, but I project this at seven. So 10 and a half, 10, I'm in. Yeah. I'm right around there too. The thing I do like about the spot is Oklahoma state has all the pressure, right. And Bedlam next week. 
Texas Tech's now bowl eligible. If they have an interim staff, new coach, like they're they they can play spoiler and Oklahoma State season. They can play so free and so loose. Um, so I, yeah, I, I like the Red Raiders at home and in what is still a tough place to play in. All right, I'll. We also have another big rivalry game next weekend. The big game, uh, Ohio State and Michigan. I think the look at line is Ohio State minus six and a half at Michigan, if I saw that correctly. So the thing is, are either one of these teams going to be looking ahead? Ohio State, 19-point favorite at home against Michigan State. And Michigan will go down to Maryland and is a 15-point favorite. Uh, you can we'll get the Michigan Maryland game out of the way. You can just laugh at me. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be playing Maryland. Oh my um, god! I know it's disgusting. You're you make the spread higher. I'm under 14 in this game. I would not play 14. I would not play under 14. And look, Maryland's burnt me the last two weeks as double digit dogs at home. One of the worst losses of the year was them against Penn State. They pick six at the end to lose by 17 in a game that was tied in the fourth quarter. They had a net positive 15% success rate. Should have won the game. They didn't even cover 10 and a half. And then the next week against Michigan State, they're catching 13. Yardage about equal. Yards per play, they lost. But their last four drives of the game, they turned it over on downs in Michigan State territory. Just needed one score. So there's not many advantages here for Maryland. If you look at, you know, the advanced metrics, Maryland's – they're going to have to throw the ball here. And, And Michigan's been good against the pass. Maryland won't even try to run it here, but I just think it's too many points. Michigan coming off that physical game. They're still dealing with some injuries against Penn State, second straight road game with Ohio State on deck, like with the college football playoff on the horizon. Big chance that they come out just a little flat. And if they're up here, they don't need style points. Right? They don't need to win by a lot. They win out, they're going to the college football playoff. So if they're up 14, 17 late, this is already a team that run heavy. You know, they play slow. You're going to see them sit on it. They have a lot of injuries already. Let's get out of College Park with a win. So hopefully, if it's – hopefully we don't need to do this, but maybe Maryland, if it comes down to it, can get me my back door that they have uh, flirted with. Maybe gave up a front door cover two weeks ago. Um, yeah, it's sad. But uh, I will be playing the Terps. I will be cursing myself on Twitter. God bless you if you decide to join. Um. And by the way, the Maryland's defense is bad, but it's not like Michigan's offense has been lighting up the world. On the other side, and maybe there's some regression coming here in the red zone and turnovers. I mean, Maryland's like bottom 15 in fourth downs, all of that. On the, uh, in the other game, Ohio State, I'll keep this simple and I'll get your thoughts on both. Ohio State minus 19 against Michigan State. Again, there's no look at – Ohio State does not look ahead to Michigan. Michigan can maybe look ahead to Ohio State, but Ohio State does not look ahead to Michigan. Plus, Ohio State needs to win out to go to the college football playoff. So there's no lack of focus here. This is simple to me. Um, First of all, Michigan State has a number of key injuries on the offensive side of the ball. Offensive line, Jalen Naylor, one of their best receivers, is still banged up. Not sure if he's going to go. And their defense stinks. Their pass defense is one of the worst in all power five. Okay, well, uh, try going up against – the most dynamic wide receiving core in the country. Now, when we were, when I was filling out my Blitnikoff semifinalist, it was like Garrett Wilson, Alave, 
And I was like, but Ajigba actually leads the team with like a thousand yards. I don't even think he was on the list. So Michigan State plays off because their corners are bad. I mean, this is going to be a field day for Ohio State's receivers. This, I think, is a truck. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously high backdoor risk. Ohio State's defense hasn't been great. But, I mean, Ohio State should put up a 50-burger here. I'm, I'm laying it with the Buckeyes. Thoughts on both of those games? And you could just laugh off Maryland if you want to move on to Ohio State. Well, I mean, with Maryland, I have Maryland PTSD. Like, I, I, I just don't even know what my record would be in the action app if I stopped betting on Maryland every week with these stupid turnovers and, and these, like, finding ways not to cover. Um, I'm 0-5 on them this year. 0-5. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have too much PTSD to be laying a full game. And I think 17 is really a key number here because – what Harbaugh is going to want to do is get a three-score lead and then just sit on it, right? I mean, we don't know the status on Blake Corum. I don't expect him to play whatsoever with Ohio State coming up. And I do project this at 16 with a total of 54. So there's a lean on the under 57. But, you know, Michigan's going to do their slow tempo, 95th in tempo, pound the rock against a Maryland team. It's 113th and stuff, right? So there's not going to be any resistance there whatsoever. And there's a massive gap in special teams, third for Michigan, 100th for Maryland. Uh, but I think the real cap is havoc allowed. I can't trust this Maryland team who's consistently, you know, uh, constantly losing the ball, interceptions, uh, defenses are in the backfield all the time. I think, like I said, I think 17 is where Harbaugh kind of calls off the horses. I would rather play a first half on Michigan. So we're, when Harbaugh's trying to build that lead uh, than play a full game. And then as far as Michigan State, Ohio State, uh, I wrote a huge, huge detailed uh, write-up on this game. And one of the biggest, and I'll, and I'll let everybody go out to Action Network and read this, but the biggest conclusion I could come up with, this might be a boat race. And I don't think Mel Tucker wants it to be a boat race. I think he wants to pound Kenneth Walker about 40 times a game because Ohio yeah, State, when you're down, when you're down 21 nothing in the first exactly. quarter, what are you going to do? Exactly, because their defense in the secondary is so bad that C.J. Stroud and this, this unit is going to be able to tear them up. I wouldn't be surprised to see three touchdowns by Ohio State early. This is not the Penn State defense that, you know, Ohio State had trouble scoring against. This is C.J. Stroud, who has a 16-to-1 TD-to-INT ratio when he is pressured. He is unbelievable. He's like pulling Mac Jones numbers in a crowded pocket. And that doesn't even matter because Michigan State is 99th in passing down sack rate. They're not even getting pressure on the quarterback when they need it. Uh, so I think Mel Tucker is going to try to dirty this up in the trench because there's a little bit of an advantage against Ohio State front. But at the same time, if you're down 14, you're not trying to pound the rock. So for me, it was a first half over. Uh, I'd like the number to come down to a key 68 and a half doesn't really make me want to get involved. I, I might wait for it to come down because it has come down a little bit this week. Uh, but I, first half over for me, full game over for me. And you're right about the back door. I, I, I'm not. If, if Purdue's putting up over 30 here, the Michigan State can do the same thing. So there is extreme backdoor here with this 19. Uh, of course, it's a dead number. You'd want it to get to 21, something that hits a little bit more often. So I might not play the side pregame. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Michigan State's not going to – just because they're down 35 doesn't mean they're not going to try to get two touchdowns in the fourth quarter backdoor this thing. Uh, and if Mel Tucker wants to run the ball all day, uh, I, I welcome it. The weakness of Ohio State's in their secondary, uh, their top five EPA per rush on D. Um, all right. So, look, we, there's another game, and look at it, look away, we'll get to later. 
ECU Navy. We'll talk talk about another segment. Another big rivalry game next week, the Iron Bowl, Alabama, Auburn. It's obviously lost some of its luster. No Bo Nick season. Still get the shout out in on the potties out for the season with an injury. And then Auburn obviously lost. And but uh they can they can still knock out Alabama. That's their Super Bowl now. They knock out Alabama. But who knows? Alabama probably still gets in if they, they lose three games at this point. But they can end Alabama's season, potentially, and their college football playoff run. I guess if they beat Georgia, then they're probably in with two losses. But that'll be their Super Bowl next week. And I'm going to tell you what. If I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? So this is a really big look-ahead spot. You know, traveling to Columbia to play a, just an abysmal South Carolina team. Finley's going to get the start for Auburn. I can see them being super flat here. Not sure I want to back South Carolina. I just don't see enough value in the line. But this is one of the bet, one of the biggest look-ahead spots because Auburn is playing for nothing with Alabama on deck, which is now their Super Bowl. Any interest in South Carolina as a home dog? No, I played Auburn earlier today. Uh, I did, Listen, this is a number with Bo Nix. I'd have made 13 and a half. So you're saying six points. That's what Bo Nix is worth. I love Bo Nix. It's been a great Bo Nix season, but that is not the proper drop-off to TJ Finley. TJ Finley is a seasoned SEC quarterback with tons of experience, and he didn't look that bad And and when he's come in and done cleanup in earlier parts of the season. So I don't agree with the massive drop in the line. Plus, (laughs) what is South Carolina's rush defense? It's 109th in line yards, 92nd in defensive rushing success rate, 125th in stuff rate. This defense is going to take on Tank Bigsby and Jarquez uh, Hunter. I, I don't, I don't see it. That that's not going to fly. So it's not just TJ Finley. It's the fact that Auburn has a rushing game that's just going to pound South Carolina into oblivion. Then you get to stuff that's off the field. Mike Bobo was the interim coach at South Carolina before Beamer showed up. Beamer comes in, says, "Hey, you want to stick around and be the OC?" Bobo's like, "You know, deuces, I'm out." Uh, and now Bobo is being hazed by everybody in, in the in South Carolina region. Uh, and this is an offensive coordinator that holds grudges, doesn't take knees, and likes to blow teams out no matter what the situation is. So the drop-off should not be that much down to seven and a half. I'm on Auburn. I think Finley's going to do just fine. But really, it's Tank and Jarquez is just going to run wild on this South Carolina defense. Yeah, and South Carolina's offense is uh... – a sight for sore eyes. <clears throat> All right, so that'll do it for look ahead or look away. Let's move on to our marquee matchups of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 12. All right, we already hit on a, a couple of the marquee matchups, but we have three more to get to here. Let's start in the Big 12 with the game we already mentioned. Baylor, off a huge win over Oklahoma at home, travels to Kansas State. We're getting called out on Twitter by a Kansas State backer for not giving them love. Kansas State, one-point underdog. I think they're now a one-point favorite. I'm on Kansas State here. Emaw, baby. Every man a wildcat. Um, I really love Kansas State here. I, I think that... I'll give you my quick handicap. I already mentioned that what has Baylor done on the road? I mean, they have wins over Kansas and Texas State. That's it. 
This is a team, yes, they beat Iowa State. They were thoroughly outplayed. Now they beat Texas. They came back from double digits in the second half. We've seen what Texas is now. They lost at TCU. Every time they've had a big win, they've laid an egg the next week on the road, for what it's worth. And Gary Bohannon is deteriorating. He has, I believe, five touchdowns and six interceptions over his past four games. The passing attack is floundering, to say the least. Rushing attack, still very potent. But what does Kansas State do really well? Defend the run. A top 10 in line yards. I think they're top 10 in EPA rush. I mean, there's a really good run defense. The other side of the ball, Skylar Thompson, by the way, Kansas State, to our guys' point, has been a covering machine. They didn't cover against Iowa State at home, and they didn't cover against Oklahoma State when they had to play that kid Lewis because all their quarterbacks were hurt. I believe they've covered every other game since. But Skylar Thompson's playing at a really high level. You obviously have Deuce Vaughn in the backfield. And this Baylor pass defense is vulnerable. Take a look at some of the statistics. I think Kansas State will have some success with some short passes. Vaughn will get his. And obviously, it's a huge letdown for Baylor. They you know, they can still get to the Big 12 championship, but they need some help. Um, so I think senior night for Thompson and a lot of those seniors, this Kansas State team that's playing really good football uh, against a Baylor team that I think is overrated. I think last week was more of an indictment on Oklahoma than anything. Uh, so, yeah, Emal, give me Kansas State. Do you agree? Absolutely. Kansas State's a great, great spot here. I mean, I project this minus one, so it's not really that. It's the situational spot with Baylor coming off of, uh, you know, a win against OU, and they've just been a different team on the road. They've, I mean, you mentioned who they played, but they've covered one game away from Waco. Uh, I mean, the last time they were on the road, they got boat raced by a TCU offense that lost its head coach. Uh, ultimately, that was their shot to get into the Big 12 championship game was how bad they've been on the road. And it's a revenge spot from last year, too. Kansas State went to Waco and lost by one, uh, even though they averaged more than a yard per play better than the Bears. Two offensive turnovers, a couple of bad plays and passing downs. I mean, that was the difference. So, you know, Coach Kleiman's going to get them going here. And we know Baylor runs the ball 61% of the snaps, and they're number one in rushing success rate in the nation. Abram Smith and Gary Bohannon, they've been deadly on the ground. But Kansas State is playing elite. Yeah, they're playing great rush deep. 13th in line yards. Uh, they're 21st in defensive finishing drives. They've been great stopping the run. They've been great when they've had their backs penned up against the goal line. And then you go to the other side of the ball, and that offense is all about the explosive play. I mean, that's why we were all over against Stanford in the very first week, is when you get a healthy Skylar Thompson and you get a healthy Deuce Vaughn, you get these chunk yards. They've won four straight games. The last time they didn't cover was against Iowa State on October 16th. So they're kind of on a heater right now. Slow grind of a game. The, the, the tempos are, I think, outside the top 100. Uh, I mean, Kansas State is 10th and standard down success rate on offense. That shocks me because they're a team that's explosive. That means they're going to move the chains and they're going to get explosive plays to come. And Baylor's 104th in defending both standard and passing downs explosiveness. That's the shocking thing is that out, they're outside the top 100 on defense. Oh, you couldn't expose that. I'm still a little shocked. Oh, you couldn't expose that aspect that. Baylor's outside the top 100 defending explosiveness. So I, this is Kansas State all the way for me. All right, so Kansas State, top 20 in the nation in passing success rate, top 10 in the nation in defensive rush success rate. What does Baylor do really well? They run the ball. That's Kansas State matches up well. What does Baylor struggle with? The run defense is really good. Defending the pass. That's what Kansas State is doing better this year. So I think it's a really good matchup and a really good spot. 
emo. All right, let's move on. And by the way, I think Baylor's numbers, right? They, they, if you look at some of their wins, like that BYU, that B, they just dominated BYU statistically. But you have to remember, like their whole staff was ex BYU, right? Like that was such a good, situ- unique situational spot for them to just understand everything that BYU wanted to do. I just didn't take a lot from that game knowing that. So I, I didn't really give Baylor much of a bump there. All right, let's move on to our second marquee game of the weekend. And it's a good one in the Pac 12. Oregon will travel to Rice Eccles Saturday night. It's probably the game of the weekend. And visit Utah, who simply does not lose at home. I think their last home loss without fans in the stadium was September of 2018. They did lose last year to a USC team that just matches up really well with them with their area, but it was in an empty stadium. This is one of the hardest places to play in all of college football. When I look at this game, you know, I, I, don't, I think the line, people are gonna, most people are going to look at this line and say, oh my God, Oregon's catching three points. I have to bet Oregon, I assume. I was on a, a podcast earlier today and that's what the host asked me the first thing is this look at this fishy line <laughs> what why is Oregon catching three points I'm assuming the sentiment will be the same with Michigan State getting 19 I remember I was arguing with a someone two weeks ago that Michigan State they were saying Michigan State wouldn't be a double digit underdog against Ohio State but Utah is rolling with Cam Rising I mean you look at Cam Rising's number so their overall profile is being deflated by the fact that Charlie Brewer was starting those first few games uh, I mean Rising's numbers are insane the running game's also been good. Their offensive line has been great. Oregon has, uh, you know, this guy named Thibodeau, dominant defensive end uh, on their side of the ball. Even though they haven't been – they're not elite at getting pressure, but he can dominate the game. Well, the good news is for Utah's their offensive line is playing well, and they've run a lot of 11, 12, and 13 personnel, use a lot of tight ends. That They're going to chip him. They're going to give help, and I think that they can neutralize him here. But I, I think that they'll have success moving the ball – against an Oregon defense that has some questionable metrics and all the talk in the Oregon papers and forums are the Oregon defense has improved. And I was look, reading for reasons why, and all the players and the coaches were saying it's just chemistry. Uh, I think it's more uh, opponent driven. So, you know, they played Washington's offense, Colorado's offense. Uh, I, that's, that's your defense is going to look pretty good when you play those teams. So I still think that there's some holes on this Oregon defense uh, against the run, potentially in the secondary, and this Utah offense is dynamic and in multiple ways. They can run the ball as well as anyone in the country, and you know, Rising is playing as well as any quarterback in the country. On the other side of the ball, Utah's defense isn't an elite Utah defense. Right? It's not a top-five defense Usually they have like a top five defense, a top five special teams, and then like the 40th ranked offense, right? Now it's that the offense is better than the defense, the way that it's playing right now. But the defense is still rock solid. They're still going to make plays. And I think that it's a pretty easy defensive plan here. It looks like Johnny Johnson is going to be out. I think he was ex-Utah receiver, who's one of their top two receivers. Oregon basically only has two receivers they throw to, and Johnson is one of them. Pittman, who's just been lost, he left the program yesterday, and now they're going to be relying on one of two freshmen on the outside. So you got to worry about one receiver. Load the box. Stop the run. Say, Anthony Brown beat me. I don't think he can. 
I think Utah wins this game. Uh, I, I personally threw him in a money line parlay. I'll throw him in my round robin. I, I paired him with the Bucks. I think this sets up as a reality check for Oregon, and they are out of the college football playoff. I believe even if Utah wins, Oregon just needs to win next week, and then these two teams will play each other again in the Pac-12 championship. If, if Oregon loses – Oregon plays Oregon State, right, next week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if Oregon loses and Oregon State wins – and then Oregon State beats Oregon next week. Oregon State would actually win the division. But we're most likely going to see Oregon and Utah again. Utah could still lose the division, too, uh, if you're counting on my Arizona State futures. Arizona State needs to win out, and uh, Utah needs to lose out. And that includes a uh, home game against Colorado next week, but we won't talk about that. But, uh, yeah, so I think Utah's winning this game. I think they're the right side here. What are your thoughts? Well, for all of us that hit the uh, DraftKings openers uh, on Pac-12 South when they listed Utah plus 650, that was the stupidest number I've ever seen in my life. Uh, By the way, don't count your chickens. Don't count your chickens. chickens. Because because what happened last year? COVID. Oh, boy. COVID and Arizona State goes after a Utah forfeit. Yeah, well, we need to get a, a win for Utah. Hopefully, we don't have to wait until Colorado. So, this was probably the one of the most fun games I've got to handicap all season long. Uh, Oregon's going to have their hands full with this Utah offense. Two and three tight end sets that has a ton of pre-stap motion, shovel passes, flea flickers, everything in the book that's going to try to confuse Tim DeRuiter on defense. If Oregon has to get Utah into passing situations, Kayvon Thibodeau can show why he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. But as I tweeted out this week, Both of the Utah offensive tackles this season have not allowed a sack. That's crazy. I mean, Thibodeau, I've seen him uh, against the left tackle and the right tackle in lots of film that I've watched. So it doesn't matter which one he goes up against, no sacks allowed. So uh, that's one of the most. And you're going to have a tight, a tight, multiple tight ends there a lot. So it'll probably get chipped a lot. Chipped all night. So, I mean, this is a tough ask for the Ducks defense, which does not start games well. Oregon is two and seven against the spread in the first half. And I go back to the UCLA game, heavy rush by chip. And it's, it's very much correlated to this Utah plan. Heavy rush by chip, multiple formations, two all-star running backs and a mobile quarterback. We have the same thing here. Oregon got down 14 to zero. Then they made their adjustments and they won on the road. So keep in mind that Utah is one of the worst third quarter teams in the nation by point differential. I went and looked it up. I mean, I, I, I split this game out all by point differentials by quarters. Utah's fantastic in the first half. Something about the third quarter, they have a negative point differential. And teams are making adjustments at halftime, and they're able to do something against Utah. And two of the best coaches in all of college football to make changes on the fly, Joe Moorhead, Mario Cristobal, for both offense and defense. So when you're looking at Anthony Brown and Travis Dye running that mesh RPO where they're just going to hold on to it as long as they can, then maybe Anthony Brown turns into a blocker. It's all about busting through the line of scrimmage. For those of you that listen to Stuck and I handicap Arizona State and Utah, Utah is one of the best teams at tackles for loss. They're one of the best teams at stuff rate. But if you get through the line of scrimmage, you're going to bust explosive plays on Utah. That's the problem. So if they don't stuff you behind the line, you know, I mean, there could be some success, success here for Anthony Brown and, and for Travis Dye. So the way it's going to go for Oregon is they're going to get stuffed, 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 then a penalty. That's something that we have to talk about here. Because we talked about penalties in Arizona State, it matters here. 
Utah is the least penalized team and one of the least penalized teams in the country. Oregon is outside the top 100 in penalty yards. Oregon won't win the line of scrimmage on every play, but I think by the second half, they'll start busting some a little bit. I see this game being scripted out to match exactly what has happened to both of these teams all season. The Whittingham, Scally, Ludwig, they always have Utah on point to start the game in the first half. There's a huge dip in net yards in third quarter, which is when Oregon consistently, you know, they come out, they get confused by the fronts they're seeing in the first quarter. They rally and make changes under Cristobal and Moorhead, and then they come back and have these great wins. Utah first half for me, I bet it, I put it in the app. It's one of my favorite bets of the weekend. Oregon's in the middle, I think going to dominate the middle eight. I think we're going to have a wild fourth quarter. I I agree with you. Be, winning in Rice-Eccles is tough. and But I think that after Moorhead and Cristobal put their touches after the initial game plan doesn't work through the first quarter, the middle eight's going to belong to Oregon. So Utah first half is my most favorite bet of this entire game. And I think it'll come down to the wire. Uh, I like Utah to win, but first half for me, I'm way more sure of. Yeah, I just don't – I don't know if Oregon's necessarily going to break a lot of explosive plays. The reason that Utah is giving up a lot of explosive plays is it's an aggressive defense, right? They play aggressive man on the outside. Their defensive line is really aggressive. There's a reason that they're so high in stuff rate, right? They're just trying to really get in the backfield and cause havoc. So, you know, there's – if they miss, if the corner's missing, there's aggressive man, like there's – you know, there's layers. But I don't know if they have to necessarily play that way. They can really just say – Anthony Brown, you're not going to beat me throwing, so I don't have to worry about my man coverage on the outside. And I, like, we could bring our safeties down. I don't have to worry about my safety. Like, so uh, I'm not positive that Oregon is going to have as much success as some think. And there's by the way, by some match, again, there's some injuries at wide receiver for Oregon too. Yeah, like the passing game is just yeah. Johnson is out, and yeah. it looks like Johnson is out. Pittman left the program to be a freshman, uh, and then their number one receiver. That's basically it. And then they throw to the back a lot as well. Um, but look, Oregon, I believe you might have the numbers in front of you. Rush their defensive rush success rate outside the top 100. Guess who, uh, is in the top five in pretty much every advanced metric in rushing offense, Utah early downs elite. They're not going to be in third and longs here. I think they're going to be set up for success all day to move the chains. And, uh, this offense is just humming right now. Give me the Utes. Did you say Utes? Yeah, Utes. All right, our final marquee game. We're going to Conference USA <laughs> for a huge showdown for the division between UAB and UTSA. Meet me. UTSA is 10-0. They're now ranked 22nd in the College Football Playoff Bowl. They're four-and-a-half-point favorites here. UAB, your boys. Who pulls this out? It's really tough to pick between these two. UAB, a long time ago, before the Action Network is what it is today, we hit a 20-to-1 conference future on Bill Clark and the, and the Blazers. Uh, so, it, I mean, we love them more than anything, but UTSA has been in our lives since they uh, became an FBS program. So this is uh, it's tough to see these guys go up against each other. But if UTSA wins, the Alamo Dome is the host of the Conference USA Championship game. So big, big deal going on here. I project this UTSA minus three. So there is value on the four and a half for the Blazers. But the more I look at it, I have a tough time backing Bill Clark here on the road. Total is projected at 54. The number is 53 and a half. It should be noted that every UTSA game at home in the Alamo Dome has gone under. Uh, 
and all but one road game for UAB has gone under. So that's a pretty good combination for the fact that we might not get a lot of points. Both teams are ground-based attacks. Uh, they have very different styles of getting points on the board. UTSA runs a lot of 11. They switch into 12 for heavy rush packages. They don't throw to their tight ends. They just use them to block for Sincere McCormick and quarterback Frank Harris when he has designed runs. And they're above national average in every offensive split from success rate to explosive drives. We all know the UTSA is a great offense. The UAB defense has been great at stuffing the rush. They're 13th in the country and they're 11th in line yards. So there's two losses on this schedule to Rice and Liberty. And you're like, holy cow, I lost Rice. How did that happen? Main area of concern there was defensive passing success rate. Both the Owls and Flames were above national average in success rate throwing the ball. Liberty had eight explosive passes and UAB is 117th in defensive passing expected points. That means you can have explosive plays when you get behind and down in distances. So expect Frank Harris to hit one of these three wide receivers, uh, Joshua Cephas, Zachary Franklin, DeCorian Cook. Those guys may become big in third and long. And UAB defensive finishing drives is an issue. They're 62nd in the country. They're 120th in defensive red zone TD. If UTSA gets into the red zone, it's six points. So, you know, how that plays into the under, I don't know. But UAB has given up a lot of TDs in the red zone. You flip over to the other side of the offense has been Dylan Hopkins at quarterback for, for the Blazers. He's been excellent in the explosive pass, fifth in passing EPA. And UTSA is 91st in coverage. So, I mean, the plan for Bill Clark, a team that loves to run the ball, they're actually going to have the most success throwing it deep, which they will do. So UTSA has to create havoc up front and stop UAB. And they're 15th in stuff rate, which should neutralize the rush and expose the offensive line and passing down. So, you know, UAB is 105th and havoc allowed. They allow everybody to get into their backfield and they need Dylan Hopkins to throw it deep. That's how they score points. So, you know, passing downs have been bad for UAB this season. They're 123rd in pass protection. Jeff Trailer, head coach of UTSA, he is going to send the house on defense top 25 rank and passing down sack rate. Uh, it's just a big advantage for UTSA and special teams too. So I make it three. It's at four and a half. Tons of advantages here for UTSA. I only see UAB scoring with explosive passing. Uh, but for me, it's UTSA or nothing or UTSA any money line parlay piece. All right, we're going to disagree here. Uh, UAB is I'm – I'm back in the UAB, boys. One of my favorite bets of the weekend, plus four and a half. I make this a pick. Um, and after digging into UTSA, I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer, meet me. Uh, so let me give you my case for why I'm backing UAB. All right, so UTSA is 10 and out, right? It's, I mean, the program is on the rise. Who have they beat? All right, well, they beat – they won at Memphis. It's a good win. Oh, well, then you, you dig you dig a little deeper and you say, oh, wait, they scored 17 unanswered in the fourth quarter to win by three because Memphis lost two fumbles and had two personal fouls at the end of the game. Memphis outgained UTSA, uh, and they averaged almost three yards more per play. Fluke win. Okay, they also beat Western Kentucky on the road. Pretty good win. Oh, Western Kentucky had 700 yards, and uh, they didn't score the game-winning touchdown after having first and goal at the five, UTSA five, because of a personal foul. And then guess what? An interception. Another fluky win that went their way. Okay, so two fortunate coin flips. Who else did they beat? All right, Illinois, Lamar, Middle Tennessee, UNLV, Rice, La Tech, 
UTEP, Southern Miss. Absolute poverty. Southern Miss and some backup quarterbacks in there. You had some Wildcat. It was UNLV's third string. Lamar. Just disastrous offenses, disastrous teams, just straight poverty. Those eight teams have a combined record of 25 and 54. That's 31%. Only UTEP has a winning record. <laughs> when you when you have eight wins, a group of eight teams that you played, and only UTEP, UTEP is the best one. Sorry, El Paso. That's not great. The schedule's obviously been very favorable. Meanwhile, UAB, they played Georgia. They played Liberty. They just beat Marshall on the road. My ultimate point is don't be fooled by the differences in the, the records here. And if you look at some of UTSA's advanced metrics, you kind of made this handicap for me, but there are some worrying signs. The defense has thrived on late downs. The third and fourth downs, they've been great, but they're 85th in early down EPA. That's not really sustainable, especially when you consider the offenses they've been facing. And, you know, their run defense has been good, but they haven't really faced many good run offenses and UAB offenses is top 20 in the country in EPA per rush. And most importantly, as you said, the biggest UAB, yeah, they have some falls. It's a top 25, I think defense nationally. The biggest weakness in this entire game by far, in my opinion, is the UTSA secondary. Think about the teams I just listed yet. They're still outside the top 90 in success rate against the pass. Dylan Hopkins can exploit that. And uh, I think that's the biggest difference in this game. I think UTSA is a bit of a paper tiger based on their schedule and a couple fluky wins. And I think UAB goes into the Alamo Dome and gets this win outright. Give me your boy, Bill Clark, and the UAB Blazers. Blasphemy against UTSA. They're eight and two against the spread this season. Come on now, blasphemy. Well, when you when you play Illinois, Lamar, Middle Tennessee, UNLV, Rice, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, and Southern Miss, that might happen. <laughs> uh, all right, now I'm excited for this game. We'll have to do a side wager. Um, all right, that'll do it. You already owe me any rebuttal. You already owe me dinner in Vegas. What else are we gonna? And you know what? You're gonna lose a Breaking Bad bet for the Pac-12 South. What else do you want to lose? You didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that dinner either, but I, but I will, I will buy it. What was it? It was that, it was the Wisconsin army. Is it the Wisconsin? No, Iowa, Iowa total yards, 149. Yeah, Iowa total yards. went over, they went over on the last drive on just fucking garbage. <laughs> uh, like that entire Iowa offense, just hot, hot garbage. All right. Um, that does it for our marquee games of the weekend let's move on to the rundown uh let's go rapid fire and cover a bunch of games here let's uh i just did a long rant on uh uab so i'm curious i was interested in this game i don't know if i'm no long i don't know if i'm interested anymore let me tell me if these sound familiar 52 to 3 48 to 7 65 to 31 41 to 9 49 to 30. Oh, look, 27 to 14, 14 to 13, 52, nothing, 52, nothing. Do do you know what these are? These are Arkansas, Alabama scores. Yeah. Uh, So the question is (laughs) Arkansas plus 21 against Alabama. Um, I don't like, I want to take Arkansas here, but I'm not sure that they can consistently move the ball. 
But Alabama has flaws. But then some weeks they'll just look great, and then some weeks they'll forget how to cover, and, and their offensive line has issues. Their backfield is also really thin, so I'm not sure if that means they're going to come out throwing more or if they're going to just worry about their health at the end. Alabama is tough, tough nut to crack on a week-to-week basis. So Colin on his hogs, what do you got here? Woo, pig suey. As I sit here in my uh, brand-new Fable hat uh, that a company in, over in Fable put out that Muscleman was uh, wearing yesterday on Instagram, as far as Arkansas football goes, I think we should start with the presser and kind of base a lot of our handicap on what I heard from Sam Pittman. He says that his toughest job this week is to get the player is to convince the players that they can compete with Alabama. And if you can make the players believe that they can beat Alabama, then they'll go out there and give out their best effort. So it sounds like he's got to do a therapy session after two, two straight sec West wins against Mississippi state and then an overtime win on the road against LSU. Now he goes on the road again. But even as Pittman is saying all the right things, he also mentioned Missouri twice in the presser. Like, I'm really glad this it literally says, I'm really glad this game is in the afternoon because we have a short week and play Missouri on Friday. And then later on, he mentioned Missouri again. It's like, and you know what's really like subliminally what I'm hearing, even though he's not saying it, what I'm hearing? Well, if I get to eight wins, I get another $250,000 bonus in my contract is what I'm hearing, right? Because he got he has it in his contract, like $250,000 for going to a bowl, $250 for seven wins, another $250 for eight wins. So he's sitting on seven wins, and he's staring at Alabama, Missouri, and you got to be shitting me if you think that he's going to throw all of his offensive explosive players out there that are beat up anyways. Traylon Smith isn't running the ball. Raheem Sanders isn't even going to play in this game. Dominic Johnson has been like used everywhere and Traylon Burks. No one can get a ball to Traylon Burks because he's been quadruple teamed every game that he's played. Cause that's the only place that KJ Jefferson looks to throw Traylon Burks has triple amount of targets as anybody else on the team. KJ Jefferson, when he gets a passing downs, doesn't know what to do except look for Traylon Burks. So when you listen to Pittman's press conference, I think they want to get into Tuscaloosa and get out of Tuscaloosa as fast as possible. I love you, Arkansas. If any of you are listening, it's, you know, I mean, that's just the way I came from that press conference. Now let's talk about under? The sounds maybe like an under. Well, okay. But you it doesn't rattled, sound like they're going to go fast. It doesn't, you, but you just rattled off a bunch of 50 burgers. Okay. So, I mean, here's the deal. No, 52, nothing stays under <laughs> the style that Arkansas wants to play is what gets them in deep shit here. The Razorbacks want to be physical on the offensive line. They want to run their running backs and KJ Jefferson against those defenses. And that's not going to work with all those injuries I just mentioned. And Will Anderson is going to require Arkansas to continue to line up in tight ends for chip blocking. Something Pittman has said out loud. I, I'm tired of using tight ends to chip block. I need them in the passing game. KJ Jefferson in the passing downs, when he has pressure, he makes terrible decisions and he only looks for Traylon Burks. Now, I mentioned Arkansas just came off of two SEC West games that they won. An overtime game with LSU where there was heavy blitz. Alabama's coming off New Mexico State. Uh, you know, they're much more fresh, even though Roy Dell Williams is out for the season. Bryce Young got to take some deep shots. The bread and butter for him is hitting open spaces on the field. And that doesn't matter if it's a deep shot or if it's check down city. And why is that important? Because Barry Odom is going to rush three, drop eight, And there's going to be pockets on the sides and in the middle that Bryce Young is going to exploit all day. Or Brian Robinson is going to run the ball. But the deal is, is 
I see a problem with Alabama, right? If there's one fly I could put in the ointment and all this is that Chris Owens and Darian Dahlcourt have been horrible at the center position. Chris Owens has been terrible at right tackle. Damian George, when he filled in, has been terrible. This Alabama offensive line is going to be under a microscope when I take Auburn here on this podcast next week and when I take Georgia in the SEC championship. But Arkansas, John Ridgeway is going to you know get some pressure on center. He's going to be able to go up the gut, and that's why I expect Bryce Young to be dumping this thing off as fast as possible. Uh, you know, so they're not going to be able to get any pressure on Bryce Young whatsoever. Um, you know, Arkansas's defense is all about preventing the big play. Bryce Young is going to take what they give them. Uh, Bama minus 21 or better. You can't be, you can't adopt this physical attitude, punch you in the face, and then go play Alabama. And at the same time, when Ole Miss tried to rush three and drop eight, Brian Robinson ran 40 times and they, they ran Ole Miss up a flagpole. Right. So I, there's just, there's no way to cover this number. There's no way to beat them. We only have one wide receiver. There's just, there, Alabama's, you can't punch a guy in the face that's 10 times bigger than you with 10 times the players. And so it's just a bad matchup for us in our style. I don't know when we're ever going to beat Alabama at the way they were. So we're, so we're laying it. We're laying it with the tide. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, okay. I just, I, I don't, I, I, there's just so much going on here. Like, I, I don't even think we – I feel like we don't want to go, right? I think we just want to play the Missouri game, get the eighth win, get our Florida Bowl, and, and boom, huge season, right? I, I don't know. All right, I'm laying, I'm laying it with Alabama. It's something I've read. laying 21 with Alabama. Your boy's better. Grandma will be happy, eight. I think. I'll they hooked me up last week in overtime. But, yeah, Bama should be much more rested, by the way. Yeah. Arkansas in a dogfight, and then Alabama played – New Mexico State and Saban went bonkers up 59 to three because of a offsides call with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Another game I want to get to is Nebraska plus nine at Wisconsin, Wisconsin. They're just in control of their own destiny. They're playing as well as anybody, but they haven't really been, they haven't really been playing anyone, but they've just been dominating, dominating anyone in their way. Why? Well, Marx has played a little better. I was against Northwestern and Rutgers. I'm not taking too much from Graham Marks. This is still Graham Marks. It's Braylon Allen running the ball, who's been excellent. He's averaging over seven yards per carry, 65% of those after contact. So, uh, I mean, he's just – he's un- unbelievable and a huge upgrade over Malusi. But I think it's finally time to sell Wisconsin. Who do we got? Nebraska, 3-7 and seven Nebraska. Maybe the best 3-7 and seven team in the history of college football. Nebraska, honestly – it's not for everyone. A team that has seven losses all by one possession. A team that has played four teams in the top 13 of the college football playoff rankings, all to within one possession, could have won all four of them. There's a team that plays up to everyone it plays. Bad favorites. They make mistakes, shoot themselves in the foot. Horrible special teams. But what do you have to do against Wisconsin? You got to stop the run. All right, well, they've showed they can do that. Kenneth Walker, 19 carries for 61 yards in a game – Nebraska wins without a punt return for a touchdown by Michigan State. Trevon Henderson for Ohio State, 21 carries for 92 yards. They've shut down opposing rushing attacks. And look, this is – they can go in – this could go one of two ways. Nebraska could have quit because they lost that close game to Ohio State and then they can't go to a bowl. Scott Frost made a bunch of changes on the offensive staff. They had a bye. They had two weeks to prepare for this game. I think they treat this basically as their Super Bowl. And – Adrian Martinez is a weapon here because you can't move, you cannot move the ball 
against this Wisconsin defense. You can't run it. Nebraska's even try to run it. They can't. You, you can't sustain drives. You need to hit explosive plays, and you need a mobile quarterback. That's how you can kind of try to move the ball against this very disciplined and very stout Wisconsin defense. Wisconsin's defense has been very stout over the past three years. Adrian Martinez, in his freshman year when he played Wisconsin, had 404 total yards of offense by himself. The next year, he had like 320. I mean, he's played extremely well against this Wisconsin defense because he can get them out of what they like to do with his legs. Create time, explosive plays, keep drives alive. And yeah, he might make some mistakes, but so will Mertz if this Nebraska run defense shows up. And I assume they're just going to load the box, and I expect them to do so. They have a great front seven, very talented linebacker group. Bad special teams with Nebraska? Well, Wisconsin has some holes in special teams, too. But Martinez can make some things happen with his legs. And by the way, Wisconsin has faced nothing but statues this year. So this will be the first time they faced a, a mobile quarterback all year. And I think another thing that's working in Nebraska's favor is they had they have a whole new offensive staff, and they had two weeks to prepare. What does that mean? Mystery. New, uh, new wrinkles, trick plays, things that aren't on tape that Wisconsin can't prepare for. And Martinez is already the ultimate wild card. Nebraska, just got to keep this in one possession. It's all that, done that all year against ranked teams. I expect them to find a way to lose the game, but I expect them to cover this number. Thoughts? That was an absolute 100% fantastic handicap because I have the same. I actually dug into the 2018-2019 box scores to get the same stuff out of what Adrian Martinez has done because you look at the list of quarterbacks Wisconsin has played and they have not seen an Adrian Martinez. And I would not even entertain Wisconsin over seven in this game. Uh, you know, Nebraska is great at stopping the explosive play. They're third in the nation in big play prevention. They're top 20 in defensive finishing drives. So Braylon Allen, while he's been wonderful, and I had no problems laying 24 against Northwestern, uh, Allen goes out there and has three touchdowns, 5.6 yards after contact, a season-high nine missed tackles created. Uh, you know, that is going to be something that Wisconsin – is going to have to deal with. Now they are number one in a lot of categories down the board, but as Stuck mentioned, they played a bunch of statues. They haven't really seen that extra man, the dual threat quarterback that can take off. So, you know, I, I think the total is more interesting to me. I think Nebraska, you got to play down to the seven and I can see that some big money's coming in on corn. It's actually pushed it through these uh, neutral. I'm sorry, these uh, dead numbers, but I think, when the total gets to 41 is when I was looking to fire on the over. Uh, I know the pace is extremely slow, 121st. Uh, both teams and defensive finishing drives are 6th and 18th. Uh, but, you know, this is a game that I projected a point, to point total of 45, but the next key number is 41. I'm not sure it's going to get down that low. The weather is fine, uh, but Wisconsin's defense, I think Adrian Martinez can get two scores up on him. And then at the same time, you know, Braylon Allen's running well enough. I think they can keep up and get some scores of their own. So, um, you know, I'm not saying I want to buy the over. I'm just saying 41 is the buy point. But, yes, Nebraska down to seven. You're exactly right. Wisconsin has built this, these defensive stats against quarterbacks that cannot leave the tackles outside the tackles whatsoever. Yeah, I, I agree. Hopefully Nebraska moves to 5-0 and against the spread as an underdog this year, all against ranked teams. All right, it's time for our stick of the week. Smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. Oh, yeah. Ooh, 
Wake Forest catching four and a half against Clemson. I hate you, Clemson. I laid 40 with you last week, and you should have covered. I think they ran 99 plays and gave up 99 yards and didn't cover because they fumbled at the goal line, at the one-yard line. How many times are they going to lose a fumble in the goal line? Uh, and then they gave up a kick return for a touchdown on – that's the only way UConn scored. When the, the returner dropped the ball and muffed it, picked it up, and then ran, it, ran the opening kickback for a touchdown. And then UConn just took dumps on the field for the rest of the game and covered because Clemson couldn't punch it in from the one, fumble, lost the fumble. But I will say the Clemson offense looked awful. That's just how bad UConn is. You go, I mean, they can't throw the ball. They couldn't throw the ball against UConn. But I still have – their defense is still elite. And I still have questions about the Wake Forest offense against elite defenses. They won last week for me, but they weren't great. Um, but I don't – I'm not – look, this line says, like, Clemson's going to win and cover, I assume. But – and by the way, my nightmare potentially coming th- true this is this is going to make me sick. If you look at the <laughs> ACC standings right now, Wake Forest is 6-0. and Clemson is 5-2. and I don't know what happens with NC State and a tiebreaker because NC State beat Clemson and then – Wake beat NC State and Clemson beat Wake. I don't know, but there's a chance that Clemson can win the ACC. Now, they will need Wake to lose both games. Wake goes to BC to end the season with Jerkovic back. They need that game for their win total, too. So, Clemson wins this game. There's a good chance they're going to win the ACC. No. Uh, I'm not or go to the ACC championship game. No. I'm just, it's going to make me vomit. So, but Wake better win this game. I still can't trust. I would not lay points with this Clemson team anymore with their offense. Yeah. And there's a lot of variance in this game. I think I'm going to trust Sam Hartman again, not bet him. We'll throw him in a little money line round Robin. I think that's my simple approach here. You got anything here? I have the same sentiments because I don't want to back Clemson whatsoever, but the number on the board screams that Clemson is going to win this game. More importantly, I see an unbelievable amount of tickets and an unbelievable amount of money on Wake Forest, and that number still popped from three and a half up to four and a half. Uh, so tell me why all the money's coming in, and this number is still moving in favor of Clemson and against Wake Forest. That tells you that there's even you know some some bigger bets that are respected that are backing Clemson here. And you know if you look at recent opponents, both these teams barely beat Syracuse and Louisville. Uh, and the question is, are there holes in this defense that Wake Forest can exploit? Because, I mean, UConn didn't have anything in success rate or explosive play department. And Pitt beat Clemson without having an explosive drive, but they tripled the national average in methodical drives. That's possessions that go over 10 yards, uh, and they did it because of their short passing game. So, you know, Louisville kept it close with Clemson thanks to an above-average success in passing down. Syracuse kept it close with Clemson. Uh, because of their methodical drive average. And so you have to ask, can Wake have long extended drives with a short passing game of Sam Hartman? Turns out Wake Forest is 26th in the nation in methodical drives. 20% of their possessions have 10 plus plays. So they have the formula that has troubled Clemson through ACC play. Uh, The battle in finishing drives is huge. Clemson has allowed six touchdowns this season and 23 opponent red zone attempts. Six touchdowns. That's it. Wake has scored on 45 of 48 red zone attempts, a 70% TD rate. Something's got to give here, right? So if Wake gets into the red zone, that's going to be the watch of the day. Uh, I want to back Wake here too. I, I want to get in with the public. I want to swim with the fishes. I want to go against this heavy money that's making this Clemson line go up. 
I did it last week. It didn't deserve to win, but we got there. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Just I say watch, watch on the action app. But uh, if you're a person that respects the market, it says Clemson's going to win this game and cover. This looks like the smelliest line on the board. All right. Last game of the rundown, Wyoming at Utah State. Utah State, remarkable turnaround. From a program in disarray last year to now they're eight and two. Control their own destiny to win the division. They just have to win out. They play Wyoming at home and then New Mexico. Well, we did a deep dive on the paper tiger that is UTSA. Would you like to do a deep dive on Utah State? Utah State's eight and two this year. And let's take a look at who they have. They lost by double digits to Boise and uh, who else? BYU. All right. They beat Washington State by three. At Washington State, good win. Uh, well, Washington State started Guarantano that game. And uh, Utah State was – that was week one. They were down 23-11 with five minutes to go. They won it on a touchdown in the final seconds. All right, they won at Air Force. Well, they were down 11 in the fourth quarter. They came back, won it on a late touchdown, and then Air Force fumbled in Utah State territory to end the game. Decent wins, really fluky. Right, well, we can keep going. Uh, they played UNLV, and they scored a touchdown in the final seconds and won in a comeback in the fourth quarter, mainly because UNLV lost their starting quarterback, who was their second-string quarterback in that game. I think we had that in our money line round round, and it should have hit. All right, another lucky win. All right, let's go to Colorado State at home. They were outgained by more than 100 yards and averaged 2.1 yards per play fewer. Utah State did win by two because Colorado State missed a 40-yard field goal to win it as time expired. I think you get the point. This team's played one of the softest schedules in the country. Here are their wins. Washington State by three, fluke. North Dakota, that fluky Air Force win. UNLV, fluky win. Colorado State at home, fluky win. And they've been pretty good the last three weeks, but against Hawaii, New Mexico State, and San Jose State. This is one of the easiest schedules in the country. Um, And when you look at this game – I think Utah State does have some vulnerabilities in their run defense. Their metrics overall look pretty good, but look at some of the teams they played. If you isolate the competent rushing offenses that they played, even UNLV gashed them. They've been gashed. And what does Utah State do on the offensive side of the ball? They can't run it, and they're not, not going to run it here. Their offensive line is really bad in run blocking. They just throw it. Logan Bonner and a really good group of receivers. One of them I voted for the Blitnikoff. He's a semifinalist uh, in Tompkins who's had – a hell of a year. Well, what's Wyoming's strength? Their pass defense. Top 20 pass efficiency defense is a really good pass D, and this will be the best pass defense they've faced all year. So I think Wyoming can match up here, and they're playing for bowl eligibility. All the pressure is on Utah State. They've been running really well, like just extremely well in all these games. That other shoe's about to drop, and uh, I think I make this game close to a pick. Yeah, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, so we're back to Wyoming, and uh, hopefully we don't need an 80-yard touchdown in the final seconds. Um, but if we do and get it again, it'll be fun. Go Pokes. I mean, this is – Oh, by the way, by the way, elevation won't matter because, well, I mean, Logan's 5,000 feet. Wyoming plays in 7,000 feet, and they got an extra day of preparation and rest. Which <laughs> so it'll be, a breather, yeah. it'll be a breather for Wyoming. Uh, it <laughs> – this is the tough thing about when you make power ratings is that odds makers to me have been wrong on Wyoming two weeks in a row. I played them two weeks in a row, big caches in, in the app and, and in the nice little wallet here. 
and I just haven't been able to figure it out. Plus three against Colorado State. Wyoming wins by 14 and has 120 more total yards. So I don't know what that number was. Plus 14 last week, covered the entire game until a little bit of wonkiness in the last two minutes for the cover. Utah State has covered. So when it comes to Wyoming, like I haven't adjusted my power ratings. Like <laughs> I have I have completely been on their side the last two weeks. And I have not been able to figure out what odds makers are doing. Like Stuck, I think this should be a pick. It was one of my first plays that went in the app this week. It was Wyoming six and a half coming down to four and a half in some places. Utah State's covered four straight, but none of them have seen the secondary, uh, have the secondary of Wyoming. Fifth in coverage per PFF, 20th in big play prevention, 31st in passing success rate. And there is a huge discrepancy in finishing drives here. The Aggies are 100th on offense. The less yards they have to work with, with all that passing from Logan Bonner, the least, you know, the less amount of play calls that they have to get some, a score up. Wisconsin's top 20 in defense in finishing drives. But you have to ask, how does Wyoming score here? They just move the chain slowly. They didn't have any explosive runs on Boise last week, but they averaged 4.9 uh, per, per rush. Uh, they were 10% above national average and success rate. So I think the Cowboys are going to get the upset here. And I think Craig Bowl, who's sitting on five wins, is going to go bowling. Craig Bowling, baby. All right, that'll do it for the rundown. Before we get out of here, let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. We have five games. The only one I care about, maybe you'll talk about a San Diego State over against UNLV. Aztec overs. The only one I care about is Air Force Nevada. I will be on Air Force, fading my Nevada boys here. I think that Air Force, both these offenses should have success here. Air Force can't defend the pass when they when they face a really potent passing attack. Their corners just aren't up to snuff. Nevada, as we know, can't defend the run, and I don't think they're going to have any success defending the triple option. What puts me over the top here? We know the service. We know service got to show up every week, but we know Air Force is going to show up. They're still playing for a division title. I'm not so sure Nevada shows up here. They already have seven wins. They lost a heartbreaker to San Diego State last week. That was for the division. They're basically playing for nothing now. Uh, so. You know, I could see them being flat early and you don't want to get behind against the Air Force. And when you're in a bad spot, bad situational spot on a short week, the last thing you want to do as a bad run defense is go out there and defend the triple option for an entire game. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be on Air Force fading my Nevada boys. Hopefully Romeo Dubs doesn't kill me. But I think Air Force is the side here. I don't mind the over, too. I just think I, – I, but I am worried just to – if Nevada no-shows, it's the only thing I'm worried about. So I'm not sure if I'll pull the trigger there. But I like Air Force plus one and a half. Uh, I'm just waiting to see if this line – I assume it's going to be public money on Nevada. But I'm waiting to see if this line is going to move up or not before I pull the trigger. But I will be on Air Force. Anything interest you on Friday night? Yeah, I think San Diego State getting that win over Nevada. I'm not sure. Like, you get this huge win for the conference, and then you're going to take a trip to Las Vegas – uh, covering 11, it's covering 10 and a half. That might be a little too steep for the Aztecs. Uh, UNLV's covered their last two in a row. They do still, by the way, I do need to say they do still need to win. Right. Because if they lose, Fresno State's five and two right on their heels, and Fresno State beat them, so they would have the tiebreaker. Um, so keep that in mind. But yeah, I mean, San Diego State covering double digits is uh, it, certainly sure. Yeah, it's a dicey proposition there. So I would definitely be 
looking into that. And then when I put into the app, uh, I did take Washington state at home. Uh, they, <laughs> well, that cover last week was uh, one of the more amazing things I've ever seen, but this is an Arizona team that, you know, I mean, they're, they're playing, they got their first win they're covering games. Uh, but now they're going to go up to, to Pullman and you know, that's below 40 degrees rain and wind it's Arizona on the road. Uh, you know, they're dead. They're next to dead last in coverage uh, and offensive finishing drives. And, you know, that that's not an easy place to play, especially when you're from Tucson, Arizona, and you haven't seen weather like this before. So I think Washington State, who is still playing extremely well and covering games for an interim coach, uh, especially they've been putting up over 100 yards rushing with Max Borgie. Uh, that's going to be a problem for Arizona. So I, I do like Washington State. If you have the chance, like if you have a 14 and a half and you have minus 110 and you can get a hook for minus 120, I would suggest that. It looks like it's going to take some steam and probably close a little bit higher, but I do like Washington State. Go LaTeX for a win total. Need two wins. Should get them. Hopefully they don't. I mean, they play down the competition. Southern Miss, I assume, is going to be running the Wildcat again with Frank Gore Jr. Is that the plan? <laughs> um, Worked against yeah, the team you hate, UTSA, right? Yeah. Uh, Arizona. Yeah, Arizona, Wash State. Memphis, Houston, I think is about right. And what else was I going to say? Oh, by the way, the one thing that does scare me that UNLV game is field position. UNLV is one of the worst field position teams in the entire country. Something to keep in mind for another game I didn't mention, Akron, Kent State. I'm just gonna, I think I'm just going to keep playing Kent State overs. The market doesn't adjust them. They scored in like two minutes multiple times a game. The market knows that. And they should do that at will. And Gibson's going to be – And then they kick – Akron just – I mean, that Akron – Yeah, off. and Gibson's playing so well. But the problem is when Kent State scores, they do it all the time. They kick it off. They can't kick it off. Their, their <laughs> kicker can't get to the 25. So the, every, the team start at the 40-yard line every time. Sometimes at midfield. So, I mean, it's ridiculous. They score, then the team starts at midfield. So I might be playing the over again. The only concern there is Kent State. They are playing for a bowl at least. Yeah. But if they go up big, usually they keep like their foot on the pedal. But they they play for the division next week against Miami. So do they just say we got to stay healthy because that's for the division? I don't know. That's my only concern. Maybe a first ever. But these Kent, Kent State overs are awesome because they, they their numbers are so high, but I don't think they're high enough. But yeah, UNLV is so bad in field position. And then obviously San Diego State has the punt god. Let's move on to second down. Let's talk our underdog money line parlay and our favorite overdog for those new overdogs, our favorite favorite. Um, I'll start here. By the way, we've been getting red hot with these underdogs, but we're 0 3 on the year in overtime, sadly. And Tulane, which was my best bet on our show, plus three. And then you have the money line, can't make a 25 yarder uh, to win, and then obviously lose in overtime. That was a frustrating one. Yeah. And then I had Florida State, which came through. Thank you, Jordan Travis. All right, so for me, favorite overdog, I already talked about it, Ohio State. Let's just avoid the back door. We haven't been getting back door, so hopefully we don't get back door here. I think they should just score at will whenever they want. C.J. Stroud, Heisman game, might want to run this up. I just don't see any way. Michigan State can stop them, and Michigan State has injuries on the offensive side of the ball. I hope they try to run it. Ohio State's strength on defense is their run defense, which matches up well with Kenneth Walker. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. For my underdog Moneyline Parlay piece, I'm going to go with Navy Moneyline against East Carolina. This is a fantastic spot to fade East Carolina. Navy's coming off a bye, by the way. You know they're always going to show up. 
East Carolina, meanwhile, is coming off an overtime win against Memphis. They got bowl eligible for the first time since 2014. They celebrated like they won the Super Bowl in the locker room. I have a video of it in my article that's going to come out in this game. And they're going bowl eligible. And on Friday, they host Cincinnati. Could end their season in college football hopes, playoff hopes, which are dim anyway. But this is a huge sandwich spot. And they're already bowl eligible. And their run defense has holes. That's not good against Navy. And Navy's playing better of late. And they cover for me whenever I bet them outside of that Notre Dame game. Really competitive scores. They've also had a really tough schedule. Look at Navy's schedule. And you want to pick apart another resume? Let's pick apart your uh, Holton Aylers 6-4 and four ECU boys. All right. So uh, let's see. Who, who are the good wins for ECU? They have six wins. Oh, they beat Marshall. It's a great win. Oh, wait, they were down 38-21 with six to go in the fourth quarter and scored uh, three touchdowns after onside kicks and Marshall uh, missed field goal and turnover and downs to end the game. All right, so that was a complete fluke, probably the flukiest win of the year. Here are the other ECU wins. Charleston Southern, Chuck Southern by three at home. Boy, yikes. Tulane, one win, Tulane. Uh, USF. To win USF. Temple, oof, this is just poverty. And Memphis by one in overtime. So, uh, I mean, one of the worst strength of records in entire college football when you consider the Marshall win was the flukiest in the entire country. Uh, Navy, by the way, is a top 25 strength of schedule. And I think they're, this is a good matchup for them. And I think they're going to get the sixth straight win over ECU. Uh, so give me the mids as the my money line underdog piece. What do you got? Well, for overdog, I'm going to go with North Texas. Uh, Seth Luttrell has to win this game. Then he has to beat UTSA next week, not just to get the bowl season, but to save his job. And what's going on with Florida International and Butch Davis is just unbelievable. After Messy. That report, uh, very detailed. Uh, go go and check that out if you haven't read what's going on at Florida International. But um, you know, North Texas has been a covering machine the past three games against UTEP, Southern Miss, Rice, and also against Liberty. FIU plus 10 and a half. Uh, you know, they lost to Middle Tennessee despite getting four turnovers in that game. Uh, they lost by 40. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, the Panthers were plus two in turnovers and didn't score a point against Marshall. So they've been given the ball. They've had great turnover luck and they still can't score points and they can't even get close to covering. So North Texas to keep putting it on teams this week. We'll see what they can do against UTSA next week. For the underdog money line, uh, I'm going to go with Florida Atlantic. Now, I mean, I've been taking these teams that are plus three, plus five. I want to get a double-digit one in here this week. And, you know, for me, I, I understand there's the argument that this game doesn't matter to Western Kentucky, but this game might ultimately not matter to Western Kentucky because they're going to play Marshall to win the division next week after Thanksgiving. So that's when the division is going to be decided. Florida Atlantic, they have the goods in the secondary to at least keep up with Bailey Zappi, a guy that we love so much. They're seventh in FBS and coverage grading. They're top 25 in defensive success rate and 10th in defensive finishing drives. All those are needed against this Hilltoppers Express. If you didn't know, Willie Taggart's alma mater is Western Kentucky. So coaches up for this game. It should be a huge game for Johnny Ford on the ground against a Western Kentucky defense that is really poor against the rush. Give me the owls. Hopefully I can get uh, my favorite 
gif out on Twitter, the, the turning owl head. I haven't had that one out in a while. Yeah, the argument against that is that they play at three, they play at noon. Marshall plays at 3.30. It is still late. I could see them at noon kick, and it's like you're pro- it's probably going to come down the next week. But if they were to win and then Marshall lost to Charlotte, probably not likely, then they would win the division. Um, but I don't hate the angle. Also, by the way, a game I didn't mention that I like, especially if you get under three, uh, is I don't I love the number, but West Virginia at home against Texas. I think Texas is done. Uh, they're toast after losing to Kansas and West Virginia is still playing for bowl eligibility. Texas now will be without their top corner. B. John Robinson's done for the year. Uh, I, I, I think West Virginia gets that win. Uh, if Texas shows up, I'll be, I mean, it's just like a, a circus act right now. Everything that's going on there with monkeys. Um, yeah. Yeah. With monkeys. Uh, and pole assassins. All right. Before we get out of here, we got one final task and that's our favorite bet of the weekend. Uh, for me, I'm going with that one. You don't agree with me. on It's the game we talked about earlier. I'm going with UAB plus four and a half against UTSA in the Alamo dome. I think this UTSA team, yes, they're 10 and 0. Yes. They're ranked 22nd, in the college football, a little bit of a paper tiger, right? They had, two really fluky wins and the rest of their resume go take a look it is disgusting i think the biggest difference in this game though is the weakest unit on either team and that is the utsa pass defense which ranks outside the top 90 in pass success rate that's something dylan hopkins can exploit this uab defense is excellent whereas overall the UTSA defense grades out about average. I think UTSA will get enough stops here. I make this game closer to a pick. I think UAB and goes into the Alamo Dome, ends UTSA's perfect season, and clinches the division. Give me the Blazers and your boy, Bill Clark. <laughs> so hard to pick between our two favorite G5 teams. I'm going to go with my favorite bet being Kansas State. We both talked about it before earlier in the podcast. This is a classic spot where Baylor just got done beating OU. Now they're going to go out on the road. And you give Dave Aranda a lot of credit for confusing Lincoln Riley. Uh, but, you know, it limited OU to 182 passing yards and under 80 yards on the ground. But this is not the same team outside of Waco. They've covered one game on the road this season. Kansas State's on a roll right now. They've won four in a row. They haven't not covered a game since October 16th against Iowa State. And it's really the health of Skylar Thompson and Deuce Vaughn dictates when the explosive play is there. Right now, those two guys are healthy. The explosive play is going to be there. And Baylor's 84th in the nation on defense and preventing the big play. So I, you know, the Bears are 104th in defending both standard and passing downs explosiveness, which means at any time Skylar Thompson and Deuce Vaughn are going to be able to take it to the house. This is a revenge game for Coach Kleiman against Dave Aranda, where he lost by one point last year down in Waco. Now they come to Manhattan. Uh, this is a great spot for Kansas State uh, to, to get some revenge from last year and put up some explosive plays. So go Wildcats, Kansas State, with the win, the, the win of the week. Yeah, I completely agree. Every time Baylor's had a big win this year, they have laid an egg the following week. I agree with you on Kansas State. All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you, Colin, as always. For joining me. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review, five star review, what you like about the show, or if you want to just say something nice or not nice, you're more than welcome to do. 
We'll send you out some gear on a recap episode, which will come out Monday. And as I mentioned before, we will have our group of five episode. Make sure you check those guys out. They've been killing it. That goes over all the group of five games. That comes out Tuesday. Colin and I will do our week 13 preview early next week. So that's out by Wednesday, ahead of the holiday, ahead of all the games on Thursday and Friday. Appreciate you all listening. Let's get red hot. Let's win some overtime games. Let's go streaking. Thanks, as always, for listening. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. We appreciate your support. Don't forget about the voicemail as well, 959-BAD-BEAT. We'll catch you on Wait, You can find us on Twitter all weekend. And as always, on the Action Network app. It's time for us to go find some last-minute winners. And as always, you'll find them on the Action Network app. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.